The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. I thank you, Ryan Watson, to welcome inside another episode of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I am the namesake. Happy to have you with us once again this week. This is a podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley area, West Virginia and Ohio. You can like us on Facebook if you haven't already done so. Download new episodes every Wednesday on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Got a lot to talk about as we cover the first weekend of high school football in West Virginia. We recap that and then week two in Ohio. Some news and notes out there for you as well. We'll be joined by Tara Malone later in the program. Plus, I'll take a look at the top five things we've learned so far. And this was a weekend that had a lot of takeaways in more ways than one. Takeaways about teams, takeaways for teams. We'll get right into things. Not the start Ritchie County wanted to their season in a 41-0 setback at Tyler Consolidated. Jaden Helmick ran for two scores, caught another for the Silver Knights as nothing went Ritchie County's way and everything went Tyler Consolidated's way. Huge night for Sean Winfrey. 27 carries for the Silver Knights running back. 279 yards and two scores. But he wasn't the only Winfrey that got things done on the ground for Tyler Consolidated. Branson Winfrey, six carries, 75 yards, and he added a touchdown run in the third quarter to bring the game to a final score of 41 to nothing. Ritchie County, though, was held to just 144 yards, and when you see a 41 nothing ball game, it's the 41 that tends to stick out, and of course, Tyler Consolidated's offense deserves all the credit in the world there, but the defense, they probably don't get enough credit for holding Ritchie County to just 144 yards, and again, that's a Rebel team that lost a lot of weapons from last year. Pretty much everybody that handled the ball other than Ethan Hot, but you still have Ethan Hot, a four-year starter at quarterback. Bodie Utter, the running back, not able to really get it going. 11 carries, 21 yards for him. Austin Bartlett had two catches, as did Utter, so not really a whole lot of offense anywhere for Ritchie County. And if you're Tyler Consolidated and you got to pin one guy in, even if it is Ethan Hot, that makes it a lot easier to pin him in. Kind of a weird opener. They had a weather delay out in Middleburn, and even the lights went out. This is one of those kind of Tyler County things. They have something nice out there where they put the lights on a timer at 10 p.m. and nobody thought that maybe the game would last a little longer than that. You can't really blame the athletic director. It's Ryan Walton. He's on the sideline a little bit busy. So again, Tyler Consolidated comes away with a 41-0 win over the defending Class A state champions. Also a big night off the field for one of Tyler's star players, Ty Walton. And we told you last week that Jaden Helmick committed to play baseball at Glenville State. Ty Walton joined him. He made that announcement on his social media Friday morning. So at the eve of the football season, Ty had his future solidified. He's a left-handed pitcher, and he has a lot of strikeouts on the baseball field. Uh, strikes out a lot of guys, what I mean. And he's someone who's had aspirations for a long time of being a college baseball player. So Helmick goes last week and commits to Glenville State, and Ty Walton joins him on Friday. So Walton makes his college choice, makes it public, and in the same day, his Tyler Consolidated Silver Knights come away with a 41-0 win over Ritchie County. Not a bad way to start your senior football season. That's a way you'd want to start your season, a way you wouldn't want to start your season is how St. Mary's opened up. They fell 30-20 to against Roan County. The Blue Devils were down 24-0 at the outset. That was the halftime score before they rallied in the third quarter. Luke Powell connected with Chance Cox for a touchdown to get the Blue Devils back into the game. Late in the third, Roan County would add another score. And then Joey Ramsey ripped off a 60-yard touchdown run. The two-pointer made it 30-14. to And then it was Powell again connecting with Ramsey to bring St. Mary's to within 10. The two-pointer was no good with 550 left. That would 
would have made it a one-score game if converted. St. Mary's offense was not totally quiet in this game. 244 total yards, including 167 yards on 16 carries from Joey Ramsey. And it's going to have to be Ramsey from the sounds of it. Josh Roush did not get a carry in this game. At least it wasn't mentioned in the box score that he got a carry. I had heard some whispers last week that he had an MRI. Did not report that on the program because, again, we were still trying to find some confirmation on that. And I have some unconfirmed reports coming to me this week that his injury to his knee that was at least serious enough to merit an MRI was an ACL tear. So it looks like the Blue Devils are going to be without Josh Roush for the season. So they've got to figure out some things offensively if Roush is indeed done for the year, as is suspected. Ramsey's not a bad answer, and how ironic would that be if the guy that comes from Ripley to play with Roush ends up being Roush's replacement in that starting lineup and being that primary ball carrier. We know Luke Powell can get things done through the air. St. Mary's needs to put him into some positions to succeed. Again, if Ramsey's a pass catching option too, there's there's one. I've long been an advocate uh, when it comes to Luke Powell. He's six foot seven. Why is he crouching under center? I would stick him in the shotgun every single down. You know, you talk about restructuring your offense to fit your personnel and restructuring your scheme to fit your personnel. I think when your quarterback is six foot seven and him getting under the center looks like a baseball catcher and a, and a crouch. I think that's where you need to reconsider some things. You lose so much time getting him up from under the center. But I think definitely the passing game is going to have to pick up some of the slack that you lose without Roush. Ramsey will be there on the ground too, and and you need to rely on that senior starter and Powell to be part of the answer on offense for St. Mary's. They've got some time to figure some things out. They've got Ravenswood this week. I know Ritchie County is coming up, and unless Ritchie County's figured some things out, that's not going to be as difficult a test as maybe it was last year. But either way, St. Mary's is going to need to figure some things out offensively if Roush is not going to play the rest of the season. So Ritchie was shut out. St. Mary's fell in an early hole and rallied but fell short. Who did dominate? Well, we mentioned Tyler a moment ago. How about Williamstown? 46-22 to over the Waterford Wildcats. A pair of touchdown runs from Max Melissa. They connected with Lewis Goodnow for a touchdown pass. A couple touchdown runs for Ricky Allen. Harbor Hot with a touchdown run as well. All told for the Yellow Jackets, 392 total yards, over 250 that coming on the ground. They threw the ball when they needed to. Melissa was 10 of 12 passing. They ran successfully with multiple threats. Only five penalties for 50 yards for Williamstown. That's something you don't always get out of teams, even good teams and openers. So Williamstown flat out dominant over a Waterford Wildcat team has been pretty good traditionally that beat Williamstown last year in Williamstown and that won their opener and was playing their second game of the season whereas Williamstown was just playing their first. So you can't help but be impressed by the way Williamstown looked and how dominant they were in that ball game. The big schools in Parkersburg. Parkersburg South and PHS rolled by a combined 111 to nothing score. First South, they rolled 59 nothing over Capital. Tristan Walker had three interceptions in the first quarter. Parkersburg South's ball hawk pressured Capital quarterback Fernando Valdiva and forced him into five interceptions. Walker had three of them. He tipped another ball that was intercepted by Robert Shockey, and the fifth was a Cyrus Traw pick six. Speaking of Shockey, he ran for a score and threw for three more to three different receivers. South had two touchdown runs on three carries for Gage Wright. You notice that we're not mentioning Traw a whole lot. Not the strongest start to the season for Cyrus Traw. I know he had a lot of coverage to deal with. Just one catch, five yards, and made a very athletic 
athletic play at the end of that inside the red zone to get into the end zone for a touchdown. So not really a whole lot going for him, but when you've got as many weapons as Parkersburg South does, they're going to have problems getting the ball everywhere it needs to be. That's a good problem to have. That's a problem you'll deal with. Mason Reams caught a touchdown pass. Turner Garrettson caught a touchdown pass. This team is legit, and if people don't know it or if people don't respect that fact, they're going to learn and learn the hard way. But again, a defense that picked up five takeaways, all of them interceptions, three from Tristan Walker in the first quarter alone. Teams had better watch out against Parkersburg South this year. They held capital to just 68 total yards. 68 total yards. That's pretty good effort and a 59-0 win over the Cougars. Now, South led 45-0 at the half, and you'd have to ask yourself in a lot of situations, well, you're up 45-0. What's a team's objective in the second half? South head coach Nathan Tanner laid that out for our Randy Kinsolving in the postgame interview. Boy, at halftime, I told our offensive line, look, first drive, we're going to come out. All right, we're going to run the football, which I thought we did to establish the run game. Mason Reams had a heck of a catch there. And, uh, you know, it it was uh, (laughs) a... You know, one of my objectives as a coach um, with our skill guys was try to get everybody involved. The more balanced we are as an offense, the tougher um, the tough we are to defend. And um, I think about all of our guys touched it. All of our guys are capitalizing. It's good to see. That's South Head Coach Nathan Tanner. The Patriots will stay home and they'll host University in Week 2, a university team that won on the road against John Marshall last week, but they lost star player Noah Bram to an ankle injury. It was feared on Friday night that it may be a break. The athletic trainers report over the weekend that it is a high ankle sprain. It'll keep Bram out several weeks, so it remains to be seen, A, when he'll return, and B, how effective he'll be when he returns. Good news, though, for Noah Bram, who's supposed to be one of the state's better players and had the end of his season cut off last year because of injury and then missed some games in 2020 because of the pandemic. But again, a bright star snuffed out for at least a few weeks for university. PHS just as dominant, if not more, and a 52-0 win over St. Albans. They're defense limited St. Albans to just 53 total yards and no rushing yards. That's a big goose egg on the ground for St. Albans. In his first game after officially being anointed the starter, David Parsons had a touchdown pass and a run for the Big Reds, and PHS got two touchdown runs from Parkersburg South transfer Aiden Cook. A scoop and score from Austin Fleming and Anthony Ice touchdown run. Uh, just a balanced attack out of the Parkersburg Big Reds. Over the weekend, PHS broadcaster John Chalfin asked Matt Kimes about the wealth of of threats that the Big Reds possess this year. I think that's one thing we've been stressing this season is that we do have multiple guys capable of making plays, and, and we give it, you know we got to be able to spread the ball around, and we do calculate, we keep track of touches, you know, so we'll make sure guys are getting touches that that deserve them, um, <clears throat> you know. And then I think the biggest thing is us all, you know, being happy for each other's success. I think we continue to do that. Um, don't have any selfishness in us about you know maybe other, another guy getting a couple more touches than they do, and I think. Um, Kids have done a really good job of that so far. And like I said, we are very, very fortunate to have a lot of different guys that are able to make plays. That's PHS head coach Matt Kimes speaking with John Chalfant over the weekend. So the Big Reds move to 1-0 and they'll host Riverside on Friday night. Frontier won with a last-minute touchdown run from Lucas Cox. Cox moving to quarterback this year for head coach Russ Morris. It was a bit of an adjustment for him in week one. Less of an adjustment in week two. They finally found some things that he could do comfortably and Frontier was able to get a 21-20 win over Miller. The passing game was the issue for Cox 
in week one, just one of five still in week two. However, 24 carries, 106 yards, including a two-yard touchdown run with 47 seconds left to pull Frontier to within one, and then Cox called his own number on the two-point try, got it in in the final minute of the game to put the Cougars up 21-20. to Frontier stays home and they'll host Bellsville this week in their home opener, but congratulations to Lucas Cox and the Frontier Cougars. Cox had another touchdown run earlier in the game and hooked up with Brendan Buck, or a 41-yard touchdown pass play. I know Russ Morris, their head coach, is high on a lot of the guys they had, and he talked about that in the preseason preview series. Fact remains, you can be high on these guys, but they're also still young, and for Cox, the veteran, he's in a different position. So there's some growing pains to be had there, and I'm sure winning was a big step in the right direction for them. A 21-20 win over Miller. They'll have their home opener against Bellsville on Friday. River moved to 2-0 with a 28-18 win over Trimble. So Mike Flannery's squad starting the season on a good note. Marietta's offense fell quiet in a 33-2 loss to West Muskingum. They held in there with River and at least for the first quarter and a half were matching scores with the Pilots, but just two points against West Muskingum on Friday. And Ravenswood routed Magnolia 48-0. That game was a bit of a shock to me because Ravenswood really struggled last year. I don't think Magnolia really thought they had a good shot to be competitive in that game. Ravenswood maybe sending a shot across the bow to say, hey, don't write us off this season. We're not shabby either. Well, the competition steps up a bit next week. You have St. Mary's, and oh, by the way, that's a ticked-off St. Mary's team if they do indeed have to play the rest of the season or much of the season without Josh Roush, for one, and for two, after falling in an early hole and losing at Roan County. They don't very much like being 0-1 in St. Mary's. Ravenswood's probably going to find that out the hard way. Magnolia, though, they will go on the road to play Wark County, and Wark County, I think, is a team that has a chance to be sneaky good in Class A this year. Uh, Jason Hickman built the program up the first time in the early 2000s for stepping aside for a while, and they took a lot of steps in the right direction here in the last couple of years. Now, they did not make the playoffs last year. They got in in 2020, but a 53-8 to win over Calhoun County. Work County is 1-0, and if they get a win over Magnolia, they'll be 2-0, and uh, you never know. I'm sure some people start to pay attention there. So it's a really tough ball game that Dave Chapman's squad has on their hands when they head to Elizabeth this weekend. Some news and notes for you. We mentioned Payton City's schedule because they had Federal Hawking originally as their opener on August 26th, but that didn't happen because Federal Hawking's canceled their football season. Well, Payton City has found a replacement game. Originally, their bye week was supposed to be week two. They have filled that slot with Grove City Christian, and they'll play week one as if it were the bye week. At least Payton City gets 10 games in. That's the good part. The better part is they get to keep a home game, too. So there's five home games there on that schedule for Payton City. Originally, it looked as though Payton City would have two weeks off because their regularly scheduled bye week came in week two after that Federal Hawking opener. So Federal Hawking fell out. That's going to be the open week, and Grove City Christian slots in in week two. The bad news is if you're Payton City, a team that has fewer than 20 players, you got to go 10 straight weeks. So we'll hope they stay healthy and hope they can stay on the field. But again, a schedule adjustment puts Payton City at home Friday against Grove City Christian. Around the state, Philip Barber went viral over the weekend when Lena Grassi, who is best known there as Turkey, they call her Turkey, threw her first touchdown pass of her high school career. Now some backstory here. Grassi is one of the many soccer players that double as a place kicker, and Lena is actually a three-sport athlete, I'm told, by my friend Michael Menick, a sports writer in that area. In addition to moonlighting as a kicker on the football team, she's also on the girls' soccer team, and she runs cross-country. Three-sport athlete this fall at uh, Philip Barber High School. While attempting a field goal this week, the holder dropped the snap. Lena picks it up in what could best be described as the opposite of what Garrow Yapremian did in the Super Bowl back in the 70s. This is what Garrow was trying to 
to do, not what he actually did. What he actually did was throw a pick six and fumble the ball around and look like a doofus. Lena, with three defenders in her face, rolls back, floats up a pass, only went about five yards, but was caught by somebody. The receiver went into the end zone for a touchdown. The best part of this video, and it was on the Max Preps Twitter feed, I recommend you look for it if you can. The best part of this video, and you can't see her face, but just her reaction to throwing a touchdown pass. You know, she just has her hands out in front of her face like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that. Just hilarious to see and, and really a cool thing to see. And the reaction of her teammates too, one of them picks her up and got a tosses her in the air a little bit. That's definitely one of those moments where I think somebody becomes part of the team. Sometimes the kicker, especially if you moonlight from soccer, you don't always feel like you're part of the team or you're not always made to be part of the team. I think she definitely became part of the team with a touchdown pass on Friday night. So good for her. Good for Turkey. She throws her first high school touchdown pass. Here's an odd one from not too far from here. It's a little bit outside the region. Union Locals band director was thrown out of the game before the game even started. I was reading the Twitter feed of Seth Stasky from the Times Leader up in Steubenville. He didn't report a lot of the details about this. I'm sure those may emerge this week, but apparently he got into some kind of an argument with the officials before the game, and that resulted in him being asked to leave the premises. So the officials threw the band director out of the game before the game even started, and on the opening kickoff, Union Local was assessed a 15-yard penalty. In his second game as the band director, as a brand new band director this year, he's assessed a penalty for getting into an argument with the officials. I told my dad about this over the weekend. I said, okay, one of the two parties in this was acting like a jerk. At least one of the two parties was acting like a jerk. And my dad says, yeah, it might have been just a misunderstanding. And I said, well, maybe it was, but at least one of the two parties is acting like a jerk here. At least somebody from the officiating crew or the band director involved was acting like a jerk here. I know the band is a very integral part of high school sports, but when you're doing things that are penalizing the team on the field, that's a problem, and that's when you're going to run afoul of a lot of people, for one. For two, what kind of an example are you setting for your kids when you're getting into the kind of an argument before the game that results in your ejection from the game? This apparently wasn't a simple disagreement, or else you wouldn't have been thrown from the game and asked to leave the premises. If you had a serious, serious issue with something that was being done or something that was being asked of you, then leave the official's presence, go get a school administrator and come back with them and have a backup there. But whatever happened, band director and or the officiating crew, somebody lost their head, cooler heads did not prevail, and somebody was thrown out of the game. And so it's an anomaly and something we're talking about on a football podcast. That's not the way you want things to go down if you're a band director. I'm sure he's probably pretty sorry at this point, a little embarrassed. And again, only a second game on the job. Hopefully whatever it was gets cleaned up and gets a slap on the wrist and gets to go back and do it again. But again, note to band directors, don't influence the outcome of the game. That's not going to win you any favor with your administrators, your football team, your community, or really anybody else. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's go between the hash marks now and take a look at five things we've learned so far. It's hard to believe that after one week, you can know so many things, but I think the way that this opening week laid out in West Virginia, and really with two weeks of sample size in Ohio, I think because of the matchups we got and some of the teams that we were the most curious about being tested early on, I think because of that, we were in a rare spot to where we learned a lot of things about some of these teams, and uh, there's some of these teams that we didn't learn about, and that in and of itself is some knowledge there. These are in no particular order. Top five things we learned so far. First, South is good. I don't know how they didn't make the Metro News Power Ranking this week. 
this is why I tell people, especially early in the season, you got to take those with a grain of salt. The Metro News Power Rankings were voted on by media members. I have a vote in this. I've talked about this before. We're busy covering games on Friday. We don't see every single thing that happens at high school sports. We don't consider every single team. A lot of it's based on what we heard in the preseason or what we perceive from what maybe they had back last year or were expected to do this season. South was a team that got to the playoffs last year, but they had a 59-0 win against a capital team that struggled. They were 1-9 a year ago. So maybe some of the lack of support that they got in the poll this week had to do with the fact they beat a team that really wasn't supposed to do all that well anyway, or maybe people just didn't really see the statement they made. But either way, Parkersburg South, I'm here to tell you, having watched that game, they're good. Five interceptions in the first half. Tristan Walker got three in the first quarter. That defense put pressure on the quarterback all night long. The secondary was just waiting to pick him off all night long. They have eight different ways to score, it seems like, and explosive players all over the field. Size, speed, strength, you name it, they got it. They're going to be a very formidable class AAA team for a lot of people. So South is good. That's the first thing. The second thing, so is Williamstown. I was not surprised to see the Yellow Jackets win Friday. I was maybe a bit surprised to see how dominant they were against a pretty good Waterford team and a team that was in their second week of the season. You would not have noticed that looking at what you saw from the Yellow Jackets on Friday. A dominant performance. They ran the ball. I think I maybe said this with John Mike Nichols on Countdown to Kickoff last week, that Max Melissa wouldn't need to throw the ball more than five times. He threw it 11 times, but they've got weapons all over the place. It's been a while since it seems like Williamstown has had so much back. They're legit. South is legit. That we know. Number three, Richie has work to do, and I don't think anybody outside Richie County expected them to be quite the work in progress that they've proven to be. We've seen a few of these players, notably Bodie Utter, get some time late in games last year. But when you're working behind a brand new offensive line, that's tough. They moved Morgan Knight, the only returning lineman, off the line to be in the backfield. And five new people up there. That's a unit that's got to grow up. They've got to get cohesive all on the fly in just a few weeks' time to do that. So we knew the learning curve for a lot of the skill players would be a sharp one. And for the Rebels offensively, it is apparently a steeper curve than what we'd expected. The other thing, the fourth thing, St. Mary's need some answers fast. They had answers on whether or not Joey Ramsey's the guy to be getting the bulk of the carries without Josh Roush. Can they throw the ball? Can they become a balanced team offensively? And if not, what is the formula they're going to have to rely on to win football games with Roush out? And number five, and this kind of ties it all together, If you've got a horse in the backfield, you are set, or you seem to be set. Williamstown's got a couple, Max Melissa and Ricky Allen both. St. Mary's thought they had one. Josh Roush going down to injury. Tyler Consolidated's got one and Sean Winfrey. Parkersburg South has one that's emerging in Gage Wright. PHS went running back by committee. But some people stepped up for them as well. Frontier's got Lucas Cox, and it seems like they're going to need him to step up and do big things, at least early in the season, until they develop some of the younger threats. So you kind of know that. I mean, it's one of the axioms of high school football. If you play defense and you can run the football, you're probably going to win some games. But it really seems like if you got a breadwinner in the backfield, a trophy back, then you're set to do some big things. Now we're joined by our Metro News correspondent, Taryn Malone, who talks about the game he covered last week. He takes a look ahead to the games in the area this week. Taryn? Hello again, Eric. The opening week of the West Virginia high school football season has been very interesting. We saw everything from blowouts to close games this past week. 
I really want to reflect back on the two games that I covered in Class AA in week one of the high school football season, starting with North Marion at East Fairmont. This game was determined by one single possession last season. However, the script would change this year for the Huskies of North Marion as Darren Hayes and his ball club picked up a 40-19 victory over the East Fairmont Bees. Here is North Marion head coach Darren Hayes following the victory. I mean, you got to, especially week one, you're always concerned with yourself turning it over, and then you're concerned, and then you know they're going to at times too. So I think those week one games, the special teams and, and the, the possession of the football uh, comes in it's crucial. I thought, I thought I was really proud of our offense because that's where you anticipate some growing pains with the quarterback change, with some uh, some skill player changes, and with uh, because of injury and sickness. I mean, we played. We got an injury for, that's a returning junior that's going to be out for about half the season. He had surgery, um, maybe a little more than half, but he should be back towards the push. Um, he had a, a sickness, a flu kid that's the other guard. Um, and, and, and like, I mean, so depth-wise, you're a little concerned up front, but I thought we did a great job of getting a push. I thought Casey ran the ball really hard. I thought his decision-making was good. I thought he did a good job of getting the ball out when he felt comfortable. And with a kid like that, when the windows aren't real comfortable, he's always got the green light to tuck it. And he, I thought he did a lot of good things with that tonight, too. Do you feel it's an advantage to play on a Thursday night and then it. get ready? <laughs> I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I can't tell you how many times throughout the course of the day I told students or whatever, like I told our soccer team, enjoy your trip to Kaiser, and they don't play at Kaiser till Saturday. Um, <laughs> and, and then you're wound up as a coach. It's 10 o'clock right now. I'm going to jump on a bus. I'm going to do seven loads of freaking laundry. <laughs> so I hate it. Uh, but but uh, but it is nice for the community. We got a nice crowd out. I'm sure he uh, made a little money on the gate, um, and and it's good to kind of get that big atmosphere out right out of the gate. Uh, it, it I think it plays dividends to to getting healthy for the second week, which which I think week one, week two, in my experience, week one, week two, and maybe week three is when you get the naggy injuries because your body's not used to contact. My second stop of the week took me to Robert C. Bird High School, where the Eagles played host to the Golden Tornado of Kaiser. RCB started with an early 14-0 lead, and then the visitors would cut the deficit and would eventually take the lead to pick up a quality 35-21 victory over the Eagles on the opening week of the season. Here is Kaiser head coach Derek Steben following the win. Coach, congratulations on a huge win. You're down 14-0 to begin things out. What did you tell your kids to get back on track? We just had to get, get them focused again. They lost their focus real quick. They jumped on us, had a couple big plays. Once we minimized that, we got the ball movement. Our, our kids kind of responded, and then it turned into the, the game it was. Biggest takeaway from tonight's game would be what? No, j just what I just said. The way that they fought, that being down 14 against a really, really good team, their, their ability to keep fighting back, fighting back, tied up, taking the lead, and then not squandering it late when they had a, the chance to tie it up and uh, then getting the ball back and being able to drive down the field to just show that resilience and that, that, that Kaiser pride that we play with. Now we move forward to the top team performances of week one. Eric, we talked over the weekend a little bit about this. Tyler consolidated. The Silver Knights picked up a quality shutout victory over the defending state champions of the Ritchie County Rebels by a final score of 41 to nothing. I also want to put the spotlight on Parkersburg High School and Parkersburg South High School as well. Both programs collected shutout victories over the weekend, and I am looking forward to what the future holds as the season progresses. My statewide spotlight this week goes to George Washington High School as they would shut down the Knights of Cabell Midland on the final seconds of the game to pick up a huge 28-21 MSAC victory for the Patriots. 
In Class AA, it was Scott over Herbert Hoover, winning by the final score 34-19. And then in Class Single A, the East Hardy Cougars with a convincing 73-12 victory over Gilmer County. This week, I'll be heading to Doddridge County as the 1-0 Bulldogs host the Silver Knights of Tyler Consolidated. This will be a true test for both squads to see who is going to be one of the most dominant programs in the LKC this season. Coverage of the LKC contest can be found this weekend at WVMetroNews.com. Week number two, statewide games to keep your eyes on this weekend. Bridgeport taking on Morgantown. Musselman at Martinsburg. Jumping out of class double A now. Princeton taking on Bluefield. And in class single A, my game of the week, Summers County at Greenbrier West. Eric and the Metro News Power Rankings this week. Parkersburg South remains at number 11, while Parkersburg remains at 14 in Class AAA. And then in Class Single A, Wheeling Central still at number 1. Williamstown to follow at 2 with 7 first place votes. East Hardy at 3, Doddridge at 4, James Monroe at 5, Mountview 6, Greenbrier West 7, Cameron 8, Tyler Consolidated 9, and number 10, St. Mary's. From the University City of Morgantown, I'm Taryn Malone. Metro News Sports. Eric, back to you. Thank you, Taryn. And my advice to North American head coach Darren Hayes, spray and wash is your friend. And contrary to what you may think, you can double or even triple up on the Tide Pods. Before we go this week, I want to shine a spotlight on something we touched on with Wayne Ryan of the WVSSAC last week, and that's sportsmanship. Sportsmanship is a point of emphasis from the WVSSAC this year, and it's something we can all stand to learn a little bit about, and it's something we can all stand to be reminded about. No one's perfect. We're all going to have moments where we snap, where we say things, do things, act out in ways that are not indicative of A, our best selves, and B, the examples that we need to be setting for the kids in our society and in our community. But the more I was thinking about the interview we ran last week with Wayne Ryan, the more I was drawn to one particular thing he had to say. The sportsmanship that takes it to that realm, that's always a point of emphasis and something we're concerned about this year. We want language cleaned up on a field because we think that is a direct revolt. We think the fact that language on the field, language on the sideline translates into the behavior in the bleachers thinking that's okay. And it's really not okay. We need to behave better. We need to appreciate the kids out there playing, the officials out there officiating and the coaches coaching. We need to support those kids and we need to lose the negativity again that's wayne ryan the assistant executive director of the wvssac in an interview we aired in full on last week's program and when i heard him say this in the moment it really made me feel a little bit like the ssac is trying to essentially raise kids through sports and i got to thinking about it and the more i thought about it the more i was like well yeah that's that's what's going on and it's interesting to me to hear wayne ryan talk about how the behavior on the sideline on the field if if it's better, we'll make that in the stands better. And honestly enough, it's the behavior in the stands that is why the behavior on the field is as it is. Some years ago, I was at the state basketball tournament, and I witnessed a game between two teams from the southern part of the state. It was an intense game. It was a tight game. While sitting on press row, I looked up in the stands, and I saw a five-year-old shouting at full throat, pumping his fist, and screaming at the officials. I won't say which schools were involved. I remember one. I don't even remember the other. But in the southern part of the state, they do tend to get intense about their state basketball, especially. But the behavior has gotten to the point to where a five-year-old knows to scream at the referees when things aren't going the way of his team. Now, the five-year-old may know the rules of the game, but likely does not know whether or not his school was in the wrong. He just sees other people yelling about it and sees that parents and adults are out in the aisle screaming at these officials because they don't like a call that was made in the moment. 
So I thought it was interesting to hear Wayne Ryan talk about the behavior on the field or on the court being better so that the behavior in the stands would be better. I definitely think it needs to come from the other way around. The behavior in the stands is more indicative of what these players are dealing with at home. If you got somebody that thinks it's okay to yell at an official at a public event, then what are they doing in the home? How are they treating their family members? How are they treating their spouse or their partner? And what example is the kid getting from that? Maybe some of that is bleeding over onto the sidelines. Maybe that is the influence that is leading to that kid's behavior. But I'm not so sure that better behavior on the athletic field is going to lead to better behaviors in the stands. What it may do is it may lead to better behaviors at home, where maybe your young student athlete is acting in a more mature way than their parents often do. I know there are a lot of parents that have always lived vicariously through their children when it comes to youth sports. It seems like that happens more today than it ever did. Not to generalize or stereotype, but you see more cases where that appears to be the case. Morality is something as a society that you really can't regulate. But don't look at this so much as morality. Look at this more as providing values and ethics and a good example for student athletes when it comes to how to conduct yourself in society. We could all stand to do better with sportsmanship no matter how old or young we are. Likewise, we all must understand that that example of good sportsmanship may be from someone younger than us, maybe from someone older than we are. But while I very much appreciate what Wayne Ryan and the WVSSAC is trying to say, it makes me pause and look back at our society and say, how messed up, how wayward have we gotten when it comes to just basic decency and treating people well, that we almost use the athletes and the coaches on the field and the way they treat officials as an example for what happens at home, when honestly, it used to come from the other way around and really should be. You know, I'm not here to tell you what values to subscribe to. That's not the role of this podcast. But it definitely seems to signal a shift in our thinking and our cultural thinking when it used to be the values you had at home you brought to the team and not the other way around. It's just one more example of a gap that public education is being asked to fill in raising our young people. We all know the public school systems are asked to do a lot when it comes to raising young people, but at what point does that blank check become one we can no longer cash? So again, I know that maybe this is too deep a dive on one comment that's said here, but let's take a step back as a society and take a step back and realize that, you know, we all have something to do with the sportsmanship that we see from our young people. They shouldn't have to be the ones teaching teaching us how to be good sports, we should be the ones teaching them before they get into that team sports atmosphere. Games of the week this week, it's a little bit harder to find which games of the week are the better ones. Last week's schedule spoils a little bit. There were several really good games last week, good matchups. This week, we're a little bit lacking on it. Let's start with Parkersburg South. The Patriots rolled 59-0 last week over Capital. Tougher test this week in University, a team that's expected to be pretty good, but they had a narrow win last week against John Marshall and their best player, Noah Bram, will not be playing on Friday because of that high ankle sprain. Uh, They're also on the road for the second straight week, so a tough test for the University Hawks. Tyler Consolidated and Doddridge County, a pair of 1-0 teams. One of them may be expected to be 1-0 a little bit more than the other. For those who might have looked at Tyler Consolidated's win over Ritchie County and said, well, is Tyler Consolidated for real this year? Well, we're going to find out uh, how for real they are or whether they're maybe close to being for real when they play Doddridge County this week. It's a bit of a step up in competition. And this is one that's not two teams that have done well. We have a couple 0-2 teams here, Marietta and Athens. The Tigers scored and hung in there with River in their 
first game of the season took a step back offensively against West Muskingum and a 33-2 loss. One of those two teams going to pick up their first win this year. I know Athens, for a long time, was a top program in southeastern Ohio. They've slipped a little bit in recent years. Maybe some room for Marietta to come away with a win and get their offense back on track and their season right with it. Seven Rangers Radio this week has a trio of games. St. Mary's and Ravenswood on Light Rock 93R. V96.9 has that Parkersburg South University matchup. And the True Oldies Channel WVAM has Parkersburg at home for the second straight week against a Kanoa Valley Schools. They take on Riverside. You can download new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Share the posts and let people know about the pod. And again, we'd be glad to have you following. Send us a message or uh, something along the way. We'll answer your questions on the show. We haven't had that in a while and certainly would love to bring that back to the fold once again. I'm Eric Little. Thank you for listening to the show this week. We'll do it again next week. And until then, enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Come back next week for another new episode. And thanks for listening. I'm going to do seven loads of freaking laundry.